Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right. Ready? Good morning. Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr., Brandon Newman here. Back for episode two. We survived the first day, Brandon. How we feeling? Uh, like I survived. Like I like I survived. Uh, but feeling good. Feeling good. It's like a normal week, right? You hit Tuesday and you're just well, like, I mean, you just got to keep going. Nor- normal week, like, uh, again, we talked about this. I'm coming off a hiatus where I hadn't worked in quite a while. So Thanks. I woke up. It was like it was like the first round of golf in a spring where there were some muscles that I forgot existed that were a little sore. Yes. And so now we're shaking off that rust here. And thankfully, that means we'll be better for it today, which is good. We got no guests today on the podcast. Katie Nolan's going to join us tomorrow of now Friday Night Baseball fame, Ooh. in addition to the litany of other things, which I'm really excited to talk to Katie about. That'll be a fun conversation that we'll have tomorrow. Today, we've obviously got a bunch already in the world of sports NBA playoffs continue to roll along here night two of that action in the second round here in the Eastern and Western Conference semis heat Sixers Mavericks and Suns plenty to get into with those as James Harden is going to start to find himself in the take crosshairs I have a feeling (laughs) if I'm going to predict the news cycle for the rest of the day here he's going to be a guy we hear Stephen A. Smith yelling a fair amount about oh they love picking on James Harden honestly as soon as that team came together, Harden, Kyrie, and KD, the, the takes are going to be flowing. But James Harden's been I, – mm, I, that, that man, well, he's the one. that man, that man, that, <laughs> that, that scammer, that scammer. <laughs> I don't know if he's a scammer. Yes, he is a scammer because he acts like he wants to win championships. He does not care about championships. He cares about points. And he barely cares about points active? now. Do you think he's acted like he wants to win championships? Like we don't. He claims it when in Houston when they are like making these runs. He he acts like he cares. He does not. That's what pisses me off. I I think he cares, but I think he cares only up to a certain point. And like that certain point has been incredibly lucrative for him, and he's been incredibly good at that certain point, and he's been incredibly good in a lot of circumstances. But this was always the thought that I had with James Harden-led teams, and that's what the 76ers are without Joel Embiid in the lineup again in the concussion protocol and that orbital fracture that'll probably keep him out till at minimum game three, especially if they're down 0-2. But this is now a James Harden-led team, and I I think we saw a little bit of how that goes. So we'll get into plenty more of that, what we saw from the rest of this night in the NBA here. We'll also get into, which you know anyone that's listened to me at any stop along the way and, and certainly knows anything about our background as college athletes, we got a lot of 
NIL related mm, business mm, mm, mm. and pearl clutching that has been in the news. And I don't want to get demeaning. I want to talk honestly about where we're at right okay. now and about the player that kind of launched all of the discussion that we're getting ready to have in all this because I am fascinated that this one player in college football seems to have launched a lion's share of articles, think pieces, and certainly people in their feelings about where we're at in college football. Some of it justified, some of it not. But uh, That's a tease right there. Brandon? That is a tease. I was, I was like, tell me now. I want to know now. <laughs> like I said. Like I said, man, listen, yesterday we had to knock off some rust. The muscles were a little bit sore. Today we start flexing them with a little bit more authority. Okay, okay, okay. I'm going to follow suit. (laughs) But that that being said, before we get to flexing, uh, Brandon, we did also have breaking news uh, today in the world of the NFL. Now, we had one bit that we saw and talked about a little bit yesterday. Tyron Matthew signing with the New Orleans Saints. We knew after the – excuse me, after – the NFL draft that the Saints didn't pick up a safety in there. And so those talks were going to be renewed. Tyron Matthew goes back to the boot where he was a star at LSU. And that one seems to make an overwhelming amount of sense in a lot of ways. Brandon, they had a need there. It's a secondary that, you know, needed another safety part, but we know was robust last year. And in an NFC that's very weak relative to its counterpart in the AFC, based on the way power shook out this off season, It feels like that defense and the hope around Jameis Winston, if he can stay healthy enough amidst an offense that went out, added another wide receiver in the draft in Chris Olave and is hoping that they're going to get, you know, the old versions of what we've seen of their best players back. This feels like a team that just by default is going to be one of the few in contention in the NFC. Michael Thomas was the receiver I was thinking of. Yes, but they are also up there in age. And I didn't want to talk about this, but a lot of teams are getting younger. And it means a lot when it comes to the depth of things. Like You're talking about Jameis Winston the way we talk about LeBron James. It's like the Lakers can do X, Y, and Z if they stay healthy. If LeBron James doesn't tweak another ankle, like Jameis Winston, Tyron Matthew, like Cam Jordan is 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 not injury prone or doesn't get injured a lot, but he's he's getting up there in age. I feel like these pieces that you need to lean on to win games aren't as dependable, say, as a Tom Brady. Obviously, think about someone else in that division. Yeah, and it, you're right, to be fair, like we've seen this with Alvin Kamara in the past. They lost Teron Armstead, who was a huge piece on that offensive line. So Ian Book started, started for a reason. Ian Book started for a reason. It was. It was a hell year last year for the Saints on the injury front, especially at the quarterback spot. But I think so many people are going to do this. One, because again, you look around the rest of the NFC and there's not really a lot of other people that feel close in those ways. We know they're going to be playing for second in their division behind Tampa. That much is abundantly clear. But this is a move that... I think made sense to everybody involved here. Tyron Matthew, by all accounts, leadership-wise, intangibles in the locker room, Absolutely. does a lot for a group and a Saints defense that was already a pretty robust yeah, unit. Don't, so. don't get it twisted and don't get my tone misconstrued. I'm a huge Honey Badger fan. I was really, really hoping for that he ended up with the Ravens, but we got a little, we got the opposite in, in youth when it comes to uh, age and, and, and the safety position. So. I, and I didn't want to bring up the Ravens because I, I don't want to act like I'm going to do that every episode. But he was somebody that had circled. I think everyone, anyone who had that hole in their defense was looking at Tyron Matthew like, okay, let's let's see how low we can get the price before we sign him. 
and I, and I love him. I love him on Instagram. He matches his family uh, in matching outfits when they go to Kings Island and things like that. They probably go to Bahamas. What am I talking about? Kings Island. <laughs> they're they're. <laughs> I do appreciate the matching outfits plug there, though, yes. because I feel like that is, and I say that selfishly because hanging in my parents' office is a picture of us from when my dad was playing with the Eagles, entire Golick family, denim clad, head denim to toe, clad? Canadian tuxedos, Ooh. Canadian tuxedos, head to toe, me and Jake, Sydney, not yet in the picture because this was Philadelphia. She was born when dad was playing for the Dolphins. But the entire Golick family head to toe in denim for some like local Philadelphia area magazine that was featuring dad on there. I mean, I feel like I can see the photo, but I need to see the photo. You know what I mean? Like that, that's, the, that's, that, that's the one that's going to pop up the episode. I'll see if I can find it for tomorrow or have my mom send me the picture because the best part is not only do I have hair as a kid, me and Jake, my, my younger brother who dark hair like I have now or had yes. when I had hair, Young Pat Riley. both platinum blondes, both wow. platinum blondes as a kid. I, I have seen yeah. the pictures. There's a picture of you on a camel with some blonde hair that I've seen. Uh, is that, is that, is that, is that, does that ring true? Yeah. Okay. 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 Plat- Platinum blonde Mike lived a lot. Lived a lot of experiences <laughs> during that time. So he really uh, he made the most of our blonde years as a as an entity. And now we had to wave goodbye to them. So yes. what are you going to do on that? I was trying to. Um, I was trying so to say ha- the little blonde. Uh, blondes have what is it? The blondes have fun. What is the thing? Blondes have more fun. Have more. Blondes fun. have more fun. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Which I, I again, hey. if we're gonna go, if we're gonna go by that. I think Blonde Me did have a fair amount of fun, yeah. so who's to say that's not true? Um, now, speaking of other breaking news, and really what we are more looking at to get to here, this was the one that broke uh, in the middle of yesterday. Cardinals Pro Bowl wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins being suspended six games for violating the NFL's performance-enhancing drug policy, league sources told ESPN. Steep. And Brandon... Huge, a huge blow, and he is not appealing this, so he is going to sit with that six-game suspension. Remember, he missed the back half of last season. I think it might have been the last six games with injury last year, and we saw and talked plenty about how much that Cardinals team sputtered down the stretch, Mm -hmm. how much that's been a part of the Cliff Kingsbury narrative so far during his time there with Kyler Murray, and now... You traded for Marquise Brown during the NFL draft. You're expecting him to come in and shoulder a fair amount of the load. We know Christian Kirk left this offseason in the free agency move that really reset the entire wide receiver market in a lot of ways, changed the way a lot of guys were focusing on that. People uh, were befuddled by that that dollar amount that Christian Kirk got. As as they should have rightly been in that, and – you know, Brandon, I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, they went and drafted Trey McBride out of Colorado State um, early in this draft. They've obviously got Zach Ertz there, so maybe they shift how they're going about and playing offense. But regardless of that, all roads certainly lead back, in my mind, to Cliff Kingsbury. Mm-hmm. We know there's been this dance with Kyler Murray in the organization, the unfollowing that went on this offseason. But At the end of the day, while I don't think Kyler Murray is blameless in what's gone on in Arizona overall with the team building here, he's an incredibly talented player, an incredibly unique talent at that position that tends to pay well in this league. And so I'd imagine if I'm going to bet on one of them to have staying power there, it's probably him, which means it's going to be incumbent on Cliff Kingsbury to now show us some degree of evolution in all of this, and that gets infinitely harder when you take a guy like DeAndre Hopkins off the field. But how do you show evolution when the tool to that evolution 
is Kyler Murray. And not that he can't do it talent-wise, but there's a part of the quarterback position that is linked to leadership. And he clearly hasn't picked up that mantle outside of just making a play and making sure that he's always the guy who can save the day. Like, outside of that, he's, he's shown some just – questionable things we know we know uh Larry Fitzgerald and uh you know K- uh, Mr. Cakes himself and 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 uh Kyler Murray never really got it along mm. because of the the leadership style that Larry Fitzgerald would know works in the NFL so I just think we're, we're dealing with a new uh generation of quarterbacks but you can see the leadership in a Joe Burrow you can see the leadership in a Justin Herbert like it feels like Kyler Murray is a different type of baller and in that Maybe he should be the one moved if he can't if he can't be the one that, to push leadership for that entire uh, team. Yeah, but we know that's not how this league works, yeah. right? Like again, I'm just saying if you're playing either, neither, or both with those guys, like if you're going to handicap which one you think has the best chance of surviving, it's the one that plays the premium position, not the coach that came here from college with a losing record right. and has since found a way to sputter down the stretch of HNFL season he's been a part of. Like that that that's just what I'm getting at here. I'm not saying Kyler's blameless because you're right in all of that, but I'm saying it's not like Cliff Kingsbury has also gone out and wowed us to the point. There's been some instances. There's been some games where we walked out of and said Cliff has done a good job in that instance of going and using the resources there, but it's got to be over the full sample size of a season where we say, all right, now you've gotten halfway through the year with whatever you've done and the way teams have changed and started to play you guys gets countered by you. You find some way to get over what's become now a clear sticking point in this Cardinals team building. Yeah, it just feels like Steve Keim and, and um, Steve Steve Keim just is two good of friends with Cliff. It seems like they like they, they enjoy their beers together. You know, I, I, like I otherwise you I feel like he would have there's been so many more cutthroat moves and in the in the NFL when it comes to head coaches and, and trying to get things right. And he just feels like someone who's never had. I don't know. They went to was it the NFC championship game? Not no, the semi uh, they almost got to the NFC championship game last year. But I, other than that, I just don't see Cliff Kingsbury. Like, why? Who's who's still fighting for him? Well, and uh, I mean, listen, Brandon, you're not the only one asking that question, especially in this organization. Like you want to talk about cutthroat moves, look no further than Steve Wilkes, who got all of one year to be the Cardinals head coach before he got shown the door in favor of Cliff. So like that's that's where we're at and what we've been dealing with. And that's the backdrop for why I think all of this with DeAndre Hopkins being out leads back to being more about him. I'm not saying that maybe it all works out perfect for Kyler either. I'm just saying he's got the better chance because at the end of the day, he can do things on the field that very few other people can, especially athletically. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's all I'm saying with that, but that's a a massive blow already in a, in a division that, We talk about it's the Rams coming back in the NFC West. And then besides that, you've got a 49ers team who we're not sure what it's going to look like if they're fully turning things over to Trey Lance this year. The Seahawks are in the post-Russell Wilson era. And so it's really, you thought, was just looking up at the Rams. And, you know, for this Cardinals team, you're going to be without Chandler Jones on defense now too. So a lot of volatility. And you could argue that, outside of Kyler Murray, you will now start next season down your best player from both sides of the ball from 2021. I, listen, but we've we've come to a different part of the NFL now and in football in general. You used to be able to look at a roster and set a team's success pretty early on. 
now with, with COVID protocols, with other random injuries, with just the wildness that 2020 has brought into all of our existences, you, you can't call it because you, you don't know what pieces are going to be out there on the field when those games are – when the ball's rolled out. Yeah, so the Cardinals are going to be a fascinating watch this year, but made infinitely tougher now by the loss of who has been one of the best receivers in the NFL since he entered the league, a guy that had to make a lot of chicken salad out of chicken shit during his time in Houston, and we thought was getting delivered from evil in a trade that made no sense at the time when Houston pulled it off. And now it seems like he's found his way back into a spot where now, you know, certainly there's been inconsistency in the team's overall performance. But now because of injury and this latest um, instance of being suspended for violating the performance enhancing drug policy, which, you know, and I don't know what specifically happened in that with him like my dad's been pretty candid in the past so it's not like I'm betraying any family secrets here but when he was coming back with a sh- from a shoulder injury he took PEDs to come back faster from that and so I'm not going to speculate about what DeAndre Hopkins how it came to this point right. but all I'm going to say is in a similar situation I-, I know what happened and what my dad talked very openly about with on Mike and Mike for years so again this is out there and this is documented but that's sometimes the case in these things yeah at the end of the day let's say he knew that he was at risk for doing this six games in a whole nother season afterwards of getting healthy in the in the getting healthy the best way possible even if it's against the league standards you know maybe it's maybe it's the right move maybe it's more money at the end of the day uh instead of a big pay uh pay cut for these first six weeks well, shoot, especially in football where we know, you know, right. we don't hold this against you. Oh, like, God. man, when Brian Cushing used to get popped for steroids all the time and we would just be like, all right, when's he coming back? Yeah. When when do we get the big guy back here to hit people? Like, that's this isn't baseball. Like, we don't really hold this against you at all. We just want to know when are you going to be back on the field and then we'll forget this ever happened because we know that people are, you know, finding whatever edge they can to get back to the field to go and run into each other really hard. <laughs> really hard. And also, football players need breaks. Like, these little, these little breaks are like for football. especially especially skinny wide receivers like deandre hopkins can't stand a skinny wide receiver now we do have a statement from deandre hopkins uh per his social media account earlier uh it said quote in my 10-year nfl career i've never tested positive for using performance enhancing drugs to learn that my november test came back with trace elements of a banned substance i was confused and shocked I'm very mindful of what I put in my body and always have taken a holistic approach. So I'm working with my team to investigate how this could have happened. But even as careful as I've been, clearly I wasn't careful enough. For that, I apologize to Cardinals fans, my teammates, and the entire Cardinals organization. I never want to let my team down. I fully intend to get to the bottom of this. As soon as I have more information, I will share it. And then he tweeted, see you week seven. So it seems like... He is bracing for this to be the full six games of it, but that is DeAndre Hopkins' statement and explanation. Let's get to what I was talking about earlier, Brandon, with Jordan Addison. So that's a name that more people might probably know than usual with a pit wide receiver. Jordan Addison was an All-American last year at Pittsburgh in college football. He won the Bolitnikoff Award that's given to the country's top wide receiver every year. And according to sources telling ESPN, this was really going into this past weekend, he was considering transferring. 
obviously one of the best returning players in the country. We just saw a bunch of wide receiver talent leaving the NFL draft, and he's considered to be one of the best returning. He was considered by you know voters the best last year. And he contemplated after finishing his sophomore season last year, so going into his third year of eligibility in what you would imagine is probably his final year of eligibility before he can then enter the NFL draft, there's expectation and thought that he may enter the transfer portal. Now, today, um, today, as you're listening to this podcast, is May 3rd. May 1st was a big deadline in that process because we know now in college football, you've got the one-time transfer rule. Players can transfer and don't have to sit like they used to when we were in college. There's no right. penalty that you've got to deal with in that regard. But one of the caveats is you've got to have that written request to enter the transfer portal into your current school in order to be eligible for that upcoming fall to be able to play. And so that takes a couple of days to process is what I've heard. So that news may be coming out today, mm. what he ultimately decided to do in all of this. And he hasn't ruled out coming back to Pitt. This is really about flexibility. This is him saying, all right, you know, I could still come back to Pitt or I could explore these other options. And that's where this all gets really interesting and what's pissed a lot of people off, Brandon, including his head coach, Pat Narduzzi. So one of the schools that's reportedly a contender for Jordan Addison, in addition to Alabama, for all the reasons that we'd expect, because they've been the best at doing this thing for quite some time right. now, is USC. And we know that this version of USC and what's gone on, Lincoln Riley has come over to USC and in that time has added, I believe, 15 players in the transfer portal. Now, I don't know if that's all in this class, if that's in subsequent classes, but you get the idea. He came in and stated pretty definitively, this roster is going to look a lot different. And he's gone out and delivered on that so far. Pat Narduzzi believes that this has crossed some lines. He apparently, according to reports, caught wind of this and called Lincoln Riley multiple times last Friday Dang. to voice his displeasure. Uh, officials at Pitt suspecting that tampering could have occurred. Now, Brandon, I laugh I at like all this that. because one, I mean, so I mean, you and I both know this. Going back to our time in college football, the one thing that has always been true and will always be true is players talk, right? Oh, like yeah. When it comes to this notion of tampering, you don't stop hearing from coaches that may have recruited you. You don't stop hearing from other players that you got to know through the recruiting process that you knew from where you were from in your hometown or in your home state. Like Those relationships can stay intact because everyone knows not everything's guaranteed to be forever, even back when we had to wait a year to transfer when we were back in college. Yeah. So the notion that anyone could prove tampering in the NCAA any more than we try and laugh it off when we get to professional sports was like line item number one that I sort of chuckled at in this. It's weird. to You can't put rules and regulations on. <laughs> like, there's no walls. <laughs> like, well, you know what I mean? And like, well, because I understand like technically you are not allowed to go and while someone like this is why the transfer portal exists is so that players can declare their intention and then other schools are supposed to reach out to them. Right. But it's just like an NFL free agency where, oh man, these deals get struck immediately the day free agency right. starts, but no one's supposed to have talked before that. Right. How in the hell did all these right. things happen? But we ha-ha chuckle there and we get pissed off when it's convenient because 
everyone knows everyone's kind of been breaking these versions of rules for a while, yeah. but it's not so fun when it happens to you. Well, everyone's talking to everyone always. I mean, the, like it's their, their parents are talking. You can't stop their parents. Well, My mom was very popular on the Notre Dame blogs. Well, and that's the thing is you're always going to have those kind of figures surrounding this, right? And it used to sometimes also be a high school coach, someone close to a family member, a you know, a, a tertiary relative like an uncle or an aunt right. or someone like that. And in a lot of instances now, you get seven-on-seven seven coaches that are involved. There are plenty of people that are willing to play mediator in this process as it currently sits. And so – all of that we kind of know. But again, that's not really the crux of this. And that might be what Pat Narduzzi's mad about because he's at risk of losing one of his best players. But I just want to frame this before we pull it back on the larger NIL conversation that's a part of this. Because that's the other thing that everyone talks about and assumes in this is, all right, this has become a bidding war of USC and their ability to pool name, image, and likeness money that started off we know in college football with the intent of being used for people in exchange for goods and services in exchange for what they were willing to do for a company advertising you name it all the things that we saw in that initial wave and now has through the use of collectives these groups of wealthy donors and alumni these you know large bundles of different schools alums that have come together to pool money for the express purpose of giving to college athletes and saying, in some cases, we will buy your NIL rights for a period of time mm -hmm. in exchange for sometimes hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars, or we will pay you those sums of money for shorter stints in exchange for you promoting a particular service. Maybe it's a service that is, you know, uh, employed by or owned by one of the people involved in that collective, what have you. But it's sort of changed the way all this is, but a lot of people assume that's part of the Jordan Addison equation here. And so that becomes a big part of this. But Brandon, I just want to frame this first so people can tell me why this sounds crazy. The Jordan Addison part of right. this, because I think he's really just become a proxy for a larger conversation people have clearly wanted to have about this yeah. and are starting to right now. You've seen a number of articles. Ross Dellinger at SI just wrote a really, really exhaustive piece about kind of the current state of the NIL. But just the Jordan Addison situation in here, he is the best wide receiver in football. And I heard Danny, uh, Danny uh, Cannell on CBS Sports Radio today saying he's leaving a great situation on a team that's building something, talking about Pitt. I want to talk about that notion of building something because what has happened at Pitt this year and the situation that Jordan Addison is staring down and making a decision about in what is right now the most important year of his professional development. That's a word and the phrase that gets thrown around a lot with these guys that are talking about jumping out here and don't want to make it seem like it's about NIL money. But it really is. This is his last year of eligibility before he can then turn pro. The last year he has to stay in college by rule. And what he's staring down is... A pit offense that lost their star quarterback in Kenny Pickett to the 20th pick in the NFL draft. The only quarterback taken in the first round. So in theory, pretty good. Yeah. They lost their offensive coordinator, Mark Whipple, to the offensive coordinator job at the University of Nebraska. Mm. They lost their wide receiver coach, his direct position coach, Brennan Mannion, to the same position at Texas. Ooh. So It's not the same team for him. He's... No, and so he's looking at a team that's going to be welcoming in a transfer quarterback. I believe Keaton Slovis, former USC quarterback, oddly <laughs> enough, going to be the one heading to Pitt. So he's staring at a new quarterback that he doesn't know. 
He's staring at a new offensive coordinator that wasn't the guy that was a part of the offense where he put up numbers that got, you know, in part were why he won the Bolitnikoff last year. And he would be playing for a different position coach, the guy that he works with every day that in theory, again, was important enough about this. Now, I don't know the specifics of how good a coach that guy is or isn't all the above or the specifics of these guys coming in now, but they're new enough for him to consider and then also say, all right, I can go in with all that newness at a place that I know, or I can go to potentially USC where Caleb Williams is a guy from the same area. They're both guys from the DMV area who apparently know each other from around the way in high school where Lincoln Riley is your head coach and offensive play caller and has a pretty proven track record of going out and putting out baller offenses. If nothing else, now we haven't seen Oklahoma get over the top end hump either in the college football playoff. That remains to be seen if Lincoln can do that there. But he'd be doing that. So again, newness, but one side a little bit more of a proven commodity where you at least know that offense has worked pretty well with this guy and with that quarterback that was with Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. All of that, and then this kid could potentially live in Southern California instead of Pittsburgh and make potentially tons of money in the process. I'm struggling to understand why that sounds crazy to people. Why that doesn't sound like a decision that any rational person who is in a contract year, because that's what this is for Jordan Addison, wouldn't be considering themselves or for a family member they cared about. Yeah, I'm confused to why he hasn't left already. Is there other rules of when you can enter the transfer portal? Like, like what? What's taking so long? So, like, yeah, why, that, so that okay. that was the May that was the May first thing. That was you know why he's been waiting. And listen, who's to say? Like, I have no idea. I have no reporting or no knowledge that maybe there is an NIL bidding war going on behind the scenes. We have bunched up against what appears to be pay for play, where the schools aren't on the hook for this, but there's very real dollar amounts that we've now seen enough people report on to believe are actually being tied to, hey, if this player comes here, which it's not supposed to be an enticement, but, you know, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it might be a duck, then that might be a factor in all this, enough for him to say, hey, if the price is right, I'll go with the devil I know in pit and stay here. But my question is, how how do people think in 2022 that there's any loyalty to the name on the front over the name on the back? It, it, was, it was already leaning towards this for all football players but now especially in college with name image and likeness like this guy this guy has nothing to gain professionally staying in pittsburgh it has it has no allegiance to any anyone in the building and he is now in a in a rougher position to succeed for next year there, there I, there's no variables that would make this move crazy for this particular individual this he doesn't my thing is he doesn't even have to be he could be a scout team wide receiver and make this choice yes absolutely and but i think it, it carries even more weight because he is a guy with potentially a bright nfl future and we know wide receivers become a deep competitive position in the draft that we're still willing to draft very high we just saw record-setting numbers of wideouts drafted in the top three rounds we know all the numbers on all that so this matters trying to position yourself to be the top guy these guys from an earlier age than even we were forced to are being forced to make real-time business decision this is about opportunity and brandon it's kind of like that old thing i learned it from watching you like They just got to point to their coaches, right? They've watched college football coaches 
for years operate. And I know everyone and their mom has made this comparison, but I, I just, I start to get a little stunned that now that we see players starting to do this, right. and I understand it's a greater volume of players because there's just more players than there are coaches, where we do this and we wail and we clutch pearls and you see people talk about the future of the sport on this, but we just watched, I mean, and listen, I say this as someone who holds no ill will toward him for doing so. Mm. We just watched Brian Kelly do the same thing. Talk about it. Brian Kelly was at Notre Dame, had a you know over a decade-long career there where he became the winningest coach in school history. And he looked around at his options and said, this at LSU can offer me that much more, both for my career, financially, resources. However he perceived that decision, that seemed to be what he was deciding. And I said, I understand that because that should be the freedom that we all have. And now that we've gotten to that point with players – it's new when players do it, so I feel like people are just freaking out because it's new and want to raise the alarm because they're not having, they're not used to having to reckon with this, having to reckon with potential dollar amounts thrown around in the in, uh, with accordance with it, and just not used to players having this much agency mm. because they got it all at once. We got NIL and we got the one-time transfer all at once, so it was a force multiplier. So I understand discomfort. Where I don't understand is why, especially for for fans, that discomfort has turned so quickly into the sky is falling, the hysteria right. that we've seen created around this, where everyone wants to dub it the wild, wild west and throw their hands up in the air and ask what we did so wrong. Yeah, it's just another, another was the old idiom, you're only as loyal as your options. Like these fans yes. cannot even wrap their minds around choosing to go to a college in the first place as an 18, 17 year old. Like they, they, there's a, a level of uh, separation from the fan to the spectator, especially now when it comes to. <laughs> Did you freeze or was that just you doing an impression of freezing? I was I was pausing because I couldn't think of the word. Uh, what's the. Uh... <laughs> you just said it. That was incredible. The autonomy. Oh yeah, autonomy. That's what that's what I was looking for. That's where I was searching for. That's that word. That's that word. Hey, that's that word right there. Autonomy. <laughs> hey, autonomy. But yeah, there's they they don't understand that they can't wrap their minds around it, and they uh, frankly are jealous of it. But like you said, it's not it's not like it was when we were around, where we just had, literally had to sit down and eat the shit that was given to us. Right. It, it has changed completely. And part of that is because we saw what happened in 2020, where because of the social unrest, player voices got elevated because coaches couldn't tell them to not talk about the things that affected black and brown bodies. And so they got that window into using the media to get their message out there to be heard in a way they weren't before in all of this. They got help from the courts that all of a sudden looked at the NCAA and said, hey, you know what? What you guys have been doing is kind of bullshit. And we're not going to support or defend this anymore. Like, all of this is happening right now. And I'm not saying that I'm mad that it's happening. Because at the end of the day, when I look at this situation, Brandon, it is very complicated, right? It is extreme. Like, I can understand coaches and administrators who feel overwhelmed right now. Because we talk about this was all black market stuff that was going on under the table before that's just above bore. And I heard the guys over on Split Zone Duo talking about this. Awesome college football podcast. Richard Johnson, Stephen Godfrey, Alex Kirshner saying that stuff 
you know, the bagman stuff that we've all talked about and heard whispered about in college football happened away from a lot of these head coaches for plausible deniability reasons. And otherwise, they didn't have to deal with it. Everyone's got to deal with it now. It's part of your day-to-day for some of these coaches who are in communication with these collectives by some of the reports that you read. And so I can understand them being overwhelmed in all this. What I keep wanting to know is... How is it changing the experience all that much for fans? Why does Mm. this lessen your enjoyment of this other than, hey, for some of the schools that are further down the food chain here, you're just getting another reminder that you're further down the food chain. But you probably already knew that if you were being honest with yourself because college football's had a clear hierarchy for a while. Yeah, that's how the thing works. (laughs) Like it's always, it's always a based off of hierarchy and, and, and power rankings. What what bothers me is industries always evolve. Industries are constantly evolving. Yes. The entire way that we've made money, the gig culture, all these different things, especially after the pandemic, like this is just another example of it. Like all the coaches that are uh, beating their head against the wall because NILs probably don't make great halftime adjustments. You got you to gotta learn well, to move on the fly. I, and and Brandon, you know what? And we've already seen some of the best ones have, right? Like some of the biggest yeah. institutions have. Well, I mean, listen, I've always said this. Anytime you hear Nick Saban talk about how this is not what we want X to be, he's getting ready to kill you with it. He's getting right. ready to destroy you with it. He's giving you a chance to pull this back. But that's what happened, Brandon, is uh, I was talking to Jeff Schwartz about this from Fox Sports. Shut up. The NCAA, like... Alton versus O'Bannon or whatever that lawsuit was was 15 years ago where the NCAA got sued over name, image, and likeness and all that stuff popped off. They've known this is coming and didn't do anything about it. And so as we sit here now, there are real questions about how sustainable all of this is. I look at this like Matt Brown writes a great newsletter called Extra Points talks about the business of college sports and he points out the IRS could have something to say about the way some of these collections are structured. Mm. Some of them that are structured as nonprofits and not-for-profits and how that affects the way that this is going to get digested. There's all this complicated stuff to work through because we got a ton of change all at once. The hard thing for me to do is sit here and get too upset about it and have people wonder what it means for the sport and expect me to feel bad because at the center of all of this, players are finally getting what I think they've deserved for a while mm. and having the ability to move in their limited window to maximize their value that has always existed. And I look around at all this and I say, how do we justify what was going on before then right. if all it took was this, where everyone used to say, hey, education's enough. Look what you're getting. Guys are getting both now and a lot of both. And you know what's not happening? College football didn't stop. We still played a bunch of games this year. We crowned a national champion this last year. None of it changed. And before, everyone that was in these big ivory towers around the sport couldn't tolerate players having choice and agency beyond a certain point. And instead of getting ready for this and meeting them in a place that was fair... Now they get all of it at once and nobody can handle it. Everyone was so busy getting fat off the system while the players clearly got less than the market has now shown right. that they are worth in all of this. We have proof of that now. People are going to ask if it's good to, for the sport and I'm going to say I find it hard to care. 
Mm. Because I don't think this changes materially who's going to be good. If we get to the end of next season and someone outside of the normal blue chip, blue blood programs all of a sudden has a rise to power, that would still smell an awful lot like college football. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think what this has done is probably accelerated us going closer and closer to that whole Super League idea that people have whispered about for a while, where the top, you know, 40 to 50 teams might finally break away and say, hey, we've been holding up this house of cards for long enough. Mm. We're going to go do it on our own. But if the sport needed players to continue to take less while they went out there and did the backbreaking labor and everyone else continued to build skyscrapers around them this entire time, then I'm going to struggle to shed tears for what that system was. College football gave me a lot. College football gave my family a lot. It has helped me in a lot of ways, but I'm not every person that's played college football. I'm not everyone's experience with college football. They're not all the same. And what we've seen is not necessarily, this isn't necessarily crying poverty and saying the players have had nothing because people love making it binary. We understand the value of a scholarship. We understand what players have had. This is crying disparity Mm. in a way that we tolerate in few other areas where society has decided that something is as valuable as we have decided college football and football is in general here. And we've seen now that people did the calculations on that wrong. And so again, if this does change the sport going forward and if all of those things start to happen, which are very well possible, this is going to be hard to predict one way if this is going to level out, if this is going to slow down or if it's going to keep increasing at this pace. But again, at the center of all of this, I just go, if we've seen now that people are willing to pay these players, that the scholarships are still working right now, because the schools are getting off easy and not having to help foot the bill in all of this, Mm. which is its own separate conversation. But again, if now the players are getting what I believe they should have had all along and the adults in the room couldn't figure out how to do that in an organized enough way to keep their sport going because they had gotten so used to doing it the other way, I just find it hard to feel bad about that. Yes, yeah, like uh, you want me to be upset that it's changing in a way that I wish it was when I was in those players' shoes. Can't do right? it. Can't do it. Like people, people want to do the man, the sky is falling. The college football that you love is going to be different. And again, I say, if we knew this was possible or if people feared this is possible the whole time, how can we justify the way that we were doing it before when clearly what people said about players not having value and all that stuff just was not true. Listen, it's clearly not true. Usually, usually when you leave a place, it gets better. You ever go back to your high school at Notre Dame? We had a, a Sabaro pizza in the basement of La Fun, the student <laughs> center. Now those students got Taco Bell. We had a Burger King that was never open. And now they have a Smash Burger that is never open. Subway still holds strong. Things evolve. Things get better. You're supposed to just, you're supposed to sit back and, and applaud evolution. Not, not, not get mad at a tra- tradition. And the NCAA has been wrong for a long time for, for a multitude of reasons. And they always think that they have the player's best interest at heart. And that's just never been the case. And now, and now they're getting exposed for, 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 for that fact. It's always been this way. Yeah. It, it, you said it before, Brandon. Most people involved in this process have been as loyal as their choices. Man. 
That that has been the rule for most people in this process. Okay. But the one the one thing I will say in all of this, because we know in the immediacy, it's like fixing a golf swing right now as far as trying to get a handle on any of this. Mm. The thing that again, if the mission statement of these institutions of higher learning is still what it's purportedly been which is to mold young people and teach them how to be adults. Like the number one light item on line item on the to-do list needs to be making sure players are armed with the information making ability and help that they need because there's predatory contracts in this. There are guys that Absolutely. are kept, you know, signing bad deals. You've heard people talk about a lot of these players won't have access to lawyers and things coming out. I was fortunate to have parents who had dealt with money, who understood it, who would have been able to help me through this stuff. Not everybody's in that position. And when you're seeing this kind of money this early in your life for some guys, the tendency might just be to sign it and take it no matter what that sheet of paper says. And so now all of a sudden, you're going to have to equip these guys. And some places have started NIL education and doing all this stuff. But that needs to be the thing that I think is the focus of all of this because in this system where adults have continued to mess up, it's making sure we protect the youngest people involved in all of this, mm. who I think are still more capable than we give them credit of in a lot of cases because they've had to grow up fast through the recruiting process of handling some of this. None of us are built to handle all of it at that age. Right. And there's, again, if these are supposed to be institutions of education, at least for now, then I think that's got to be a part of whatever happens in the immediacy here. Yeah, these kids grew up on TikTok. They're a lot stronger than us. They got stronger stomachs, stronger hearts. Man, those those TikTok comment sections are brutal. I mean, college football message boards were a pretty brutal place, but the TikTok comment section with those Gen Z kids isn't much more forgiving. The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? Well, with DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more, and boom, you have a shot in an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place a Same Game Parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code GOJO. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code GOJO only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, so now that I've shouted everything humanly possible about the current state of college football here, uh, basketball is also happening and the NHL playoffs, which at some point we will get, you know, someone wonderful like Eddie Olchek or mm. Emily Kaplan from ESPN and Ooh. make sure that we do that justice because obviously, as everyone always points out, and we will genuflect at the altar as well, the Stanley Cup po- uh, playoffs, best postseason in sports. I, I ride is- with it. I ride with it. I, 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 let, I let it ride because they're not wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like, it may not be like what I run to, but when I do catch it, it's beautiful. You know what I'm saying? Maybe even get like a Bucci up in here. Um, Ooh. But, uh, but yeah, the, when the Red Wings stopped their dynasty and it was overtaken by the Blackhawks, it's hard to come back from that. But most electric you'll feel in, a, in an arena going to a, a playoff hockey game. Go to, go to a barn. Get yourself in a barn. Is that, is that what it's called? Yeah. Like everywhere? 
Like that's some Listen, like if, all hockey if, people if we, were like, duh. If we if we stay with it too long, we're gonna get found out here. Just know, <laughs> hockey, we do care about you. Yes. You will be serviced around here at Gojo. We will promise to make that happen for you as these playoffs roll along here. We got y'all on that. Shout one. Shout out to Mark Van Gilder. You know everyone else who's any anyone's played hockey for Notre Dame uh, in the, in the past. We got a lot of friends. Uh, Anders Lee. Anders rocking out, rocking out with the Islanders still, yes. man. Yes. Yeah. Listen, we got dudes. I think Brian Rust is still uh, still doing his thing too. So we got we got dudes out here, and, yeah. and we will make sure those dudes feel the love at some point here. And so we've got all that, but we also had this, and we said off the top, this is going to be hard to avoid. Uh, a 106-92 win for the Miami Heat in the opening round game of the Eastern Conference semis against the Joel Embiid-less Philadelphia 76ers. And Brandon, you can already feel everyone's tractor beams starting to zero in on James Harden and his 16 Ooh. points, 9 rebounds, and 5 assists in a game where he was supposed to be the guy. And instead, this team leaned heavily on Tobias Harris. Tyrese Maxey was a whirling dervish of energy out there Love. going and slashing to the paint. And... None of it matters. They ultimately fall short. And right, wrong, or indifferent, it is sometimes reductive to just bring this back to the stars. But damn it, man, when you're James Harden at this point in your career, at this juncture, and with what the ask is, because if they go down 0-2, Joel Embiid is going to put on the mask. Mm -hmm. He is going to come back probably earlier than he should, the way he's done in the past with a similar injury. And he's going to play well, because that's what Joel Embiid does. And that juxtaposed next to whatever happens with James Harden in the next game here is not going to be a favorable light shown on this dude. It's almost like when all the eyes are on him, you can see how heavy his feet are. It's like the eyes equal ankle weights for James Harden. Stars don't disappear like this when they, when it matters the most. And he's done it too many times. He is habitual. He's a habitual hider in the stat sheet, when it matters, in the playoffs. He's not a scorer no more. He don't score no more. James Harden well, don't score no more. <laughs> it's weird, too, because back in, when it was Houston Rockets, James Harden, where it was this rotating cast of people that Daryl Morey tried to put next right. to him to get them over the hump, it, it still always felt like at some point it had to be Harden versus the world. When it was him solo, we said, all right, well, that style of basketball over a long season was clearly going to have him with dead legs by the time he got to the postseason when it mattered. This season's been a little bit of the same because while he was in Brooklyn, he was the guy out there having to deal with it. While Kyrie Irving was home being unvaccinated and while Kevin Durant was hurt, he was out there trying to keep that team afloat and having to deal with all the questions about those guys, especially about Kyrie. He said and so you could argue him. that he's going to jab him himself. Yeah, people forget that. He just uh, said, I am going to stick Kyrie Irving with an intravenous needle. <laughs> it's the only time we've heard anyone say that they're going <laughs> to physically vaccinate someone themselves. Like, I'm just going to put that out there. James Harden shot that shot and it missed, like, you know, most of his shots. <laughs> He shot, shot a most of most of his postseason shots okay, where he's known okay. for some of those yes. big time droughts because well and we know this year was James Harden adjusting to the rules and all that stuff but again it's just also this city 
too. Like this city in particular in Philadelphia that just finished with the Ben Simmons experience that thought that they were going to get the winning end of that trade between those two teams maybe dealt a different reality. And it certainly wasn't all glitter and rainbows down the stretch of the regular season, Brandon. But now for it to get here, when you had other guys set up, like Tobias Harris hasn't always been the most popular guy with Sixers fans. No. Tyrese Maxey has kind of been. He yes. seems to be one of the dudes that has gone out there and played Sixers basketball the way they like. Right. But those dudes stepping up is endearing for guys in their position. But, man, for James, this was a tough outing. Uh, guess what? Sixers fans like guys that produce. J.J. Uh, JJ Redick was <laughs> one of the most popular Sixers for a very, very long time because dude went out there and produced. We know the dynamic changes a lot when Embiid is not out there and you've got to cycle through guys the way they have. I mean, my God, with DeAndre Jordan out there on the court, there was certainly going to be issues. I saw Tom Haberstro tweet this earlier. DeAndre Jordan, when they uh, when he was in the game, the Heat were plus 19 in his 17 minutes on the court. Like, as he put it, the, uh, the tweet said it all. DeAndre Jordan comes in and it's a layup line for Miami. Oh, my God. That, that was what they had to deal with. So the math changes with Embiid out there. But again, right, wrong, or indifferent, you're expected to shoulder the load in a way that James Harden is just once again looking like he's going to reinforce what has become the postseason narrative about him again in a critical spot. Listen, I know I have my preferences, and I prefer big man ball. I think Shaq, I think Shaquille O'Neal is the best player in NBA history just because of his dom dominance that I got a chance to watch. I don't, I'm not a big fan of the style of ball that comes from a James Harden, but I just don't see how people defend this man and root for him. Like people who had to deal with him a long time ago, there's still Houston Rocket fans out here that are caping up and capping up for James Harden. I just don't, I, what, what is he giving well, I mean, you? He did, what has he, he did give you? that. He gave them a lot of good years. James Harden gave Houston a lot of competitive years, okay. trips yes. to the Western yes. Conference Finals. Like Brandon, Brandon, I know, you, I, I'm you, thinking about the championships and I and I and everything that falls short under it. the MVPs. I know that's important for franchises to have that, but I just the way Giannis goes about things. I just I'm just a bigger fan well, of, and I honestly didn't even start disliking. I didn't even start liking Giannis until James Harden started clearly disliking Giannis. So I was like, okay, I think I need to be on the right side of history with this thing. Well, and I mean, yeah, If listen, if we compare everyone to the one or two space aliens, everyone is going to lose, right? Like, <laughs> okay, okay. Gian, like, the existence of Giannis does make a lot of other people seem incomplete. Like, I always thought the existence of Giannis was a large part of why we were so harsh and so critical of Ben Simmons. Mm. Because Ben Simmons is great at a lot of things and just didn't want to or didn't seem to want to get better at that one thing in jump shooting in the way that Giannis has clearly embraced, has clearly mm. challenged himself, has clearly tried to keep extending every year because he's just built a different way. Like, again, there are we get very few of these people that come along in any sport at any particular time, but just because Ben Simmons was also at one point. I mean, he was a guy when he was at LSU we called LeBron James or the next LeBron James Yeah, for a lot of people talent-wise. That was before so he opted out of the NIT. Like, he's, he kind of showed his ass a little bit in LSU. Who wouldn't opt? No. At the who, end of wouldn't that, opt who wouldn't opt out of the NIT, Brandon? At the, uh, the NIT. <laughs> Who gives a shit? I think I think guys that okay okay he 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 has shown that he he is into basketball for a lot of the off the court 
things like being with Kardashians and such. And I don't really know how much he likes competing. I mean, listen, I, I don't even have to try and prognosticate any of that stuff because this conversation even isn't even about Ben true, Simmons. True, 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 it's true. just about the fact that if we're going to say because someone isn't Giannis or because someone isn't LeBron, they're not worthy. That's that's a metric that's always going to have listen. people losing. And so going back to the James Harden portion of this, okay. Brandon, like it is right to judge him as a superstar in this league for not elevating his team in this spot. For the totality of James Harden's career, he's still a great player that did a lot of great things in Houston, and at that point just ran into a Golden State team that was a dynasty at the time. Like, okay. there are people that run into those walls all the time. Shit, Kyle Lowry was sitting on the bench during this win. He knows all about dealing with a stopper in his conference the way LeBron James was for so many years. That's so fair. there are forces that are outside of people's control, especially at certain junctures, but right here, right now... James Harden was expected against a Miami Heat team that is great. Like, the Miami Heat team is the favorite for the reason in this series, but I think especially knowing Embiid is going to probably hero ball his way back mm. at some point in the middle of this series, there was the same thought that we had last year for Ben Simmons in the 76ers series where Joel Embiid was scoring 40 with a partially torn meniscus where we say you just have to go out there and get him through a couple and then Joel's going to come back and be special because that's what that dude is. And if you're not able to deliver on that, that's where I feel right in criticizing someone and saying, hey, we know you're a player up to this caliber. This should be something within your powers. I know. I, just, I, I, I have a trouble shooting bail to a superstar or a star that we're just begging to give role player like production in the playoffs. But we're not get begging him to give role player production. We're begging him to give star level production. We're saying, hey, James Harden, go drop 30 in game one of this series and put your, like, this, I mean, the Sixers were up at halftime in this game, inexplicably up despite shooting like absolute garbage in that first half. They were something like 17% from three and they were still up because those dudes just mashed uh, turbo on the joystick or on the video game <laughs> controller and went all out with this thing. And so I think it was like, yeah, James Harden, go out there and drop 35 on their heads, play your ass off and then get them to game four when or game three when Joel Embiid can come back. And, and I think that's why I'd imagine the reaction is going to be pretty harsh today. But uh, like I said earlier, James Harden don't score no more. <laughs> he don't score no more. All right. Speaking of no more, it's almost time for no more podcast here. Oh, but damn. before we do that, we got to get to this, that, and the third here, Brandon. And this one is particularly special. So yes. let's start off and build toward the crescendo at the end because we got to get to the <laughs> penis arm thing. We're going we're gonna to get it's, – it's been all over my timeline. I've had people ask me, we're going to talk about the penis arm guy. But uh, first, we got to shout out our friends. So here for this, Brandon, I want to give a shout out. Um, in Vegas, we got a chance to sit and break bread with Spencer Hall of Channel 6 fame, of the Shutdown Fullcast fame. Does a great job with the SEC Network at ESPN as well. Spencer Hall and um, his crew over at the Shutdown Full Cast, which includes Holly Anderson, who's the other great co-host, one of the great co-hosts of that show, every year for over a decade now, have put on what has been dubbed the Charity Bundy Bowl, after I believe the Cherubundy Tart um, Bowl that was in college football a couple years ago. With the organization New American Pathways, uh, they raise money uh, in the name of 
helping refugees um, assimilate in the state of Georgia, come there, you know, uh, have an easier time adjusting to their life in America. And they raise money on behalf of that organization through this event that basically pits college football and college sports fan bases against each other. It's competitive giving that I call it every year. Shout out to Notre Dame faithful. We finished 11 this year in the final rankings, but the biggest shout out goes to Spencer Holly and everyone associated with that podcast for raising $842,116 to help refugees in the state of Georgia. It's remarkable. They managed to beat their mark every year and it is a testament to the people that are loyal to that podcast and to those people for leading the charge. Good people doing good things doesn't get talked about enough. And that's what I'm glad that we're here to, uh, in this game, in this sports game, to talk about the the Spencer Halls of the world and all the money that they uh, – the competitive giving. That's what – It's incredible. That's, I mean, that, like, it's, it's, that's – especially when it, when it comes to schools and universities – and thank you, Michael Gold Jr., for for helping Notre Dame's uh, answer the call. I just I, I just needed to kind of give everyone a little push here. This is always about large groups of people deciding that giving is something that they want and need to do, and it's really cool to see them rally this every year. So, congrats to Spencer and Holly on another great year of that. Let's Amen. go to that actually now, Ooh. Brandon. And go with this one here. So you remember back in February, Hugh Jackson uh, went to, uh, I believe, ESPN with claims that the Cleveland Browns were essentially part of a rampant tanking plan here. His accusations came in the wake of Brian Flores' allegation against the Miami Dolphins. Hugh Jackson told ESPN back in February that the Browns had instituted a, quote, four-year plan starting in 2016 to incentivize losing for two years. In that time, they did that really well. The Browns went 1-31 under Jackson. They had the one, number one pick in back-to-back years that got him Miles Garrett and Baker Mayfield. And then that Baker Mayfield rookie year halfway through, Hugh Jackson got shown the door, and this was what he tried to bring up. Now, I remember when this came out in February, I was still at ESPN and we were covering this, and it didn't seem like Hugh Jackson had the same level of receipts that were brought to the table as did Brian Flores and now some of the other coaches that we've seen now in in the wake of this uh, come forth with more allegations and join that lawsuit. But the NFL uh, media put out their statement today saying, following a 60-day independent review into the comments made by Hugh Jackson that the Browns paid or otherwise provided incentives to lose games during the 2016 and 17 seasons, former U.S. Attorney and SEC Chair Mary Jo White and a team of lawyers from the Debevoice firm, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, determined that none of the allegations could be substantiated. So it does not appear that there will be any resolution there for Hugh Jackson. But uh, Brandon, I don't think that necessarily means that they are out of the woods on Brian Flores and what I think were uh, allegations that seem to have a little more direct evidence that was presented at the time. Now, my question is, does not substantiate it mean not true? Because I don't think so. I think I think you could be I think you could be right, but also could have been wrong in trying to bring these things to light because of the lack of evidence that he had. Like, I, and I know, like you said, it was from the wake of Brian Flores, and he has some hardcore, hardcore evidence thanks to Bill Belichick, but and and a, you know a slew of other things from Stephen Ross and in uh, company. But I just don't want to say that Hugh is. 
I don't know. I, I don't know. I feel. But listen, I feel, we don't. I feel, we don't I, I feel like you can't catch a break. We don't listen. We don't know enough. And listen, Hugh Jackson and Grambling have had an interesting time in the interim <sighs> when they hired Art Bryles as their offensive coordinator for about a week, which was Hugh's decision uh, and also as, very perplexing. Yeah, in, indefensible in a lot of indefensible in a lot of ways. And so with this one, yeah, I, I don't think it's as much right or wrong because we all saw the Browns were clearly tanking in all of this. It was there never felt like he brought the evidence of the claims that he was paid or incentivized in his contract to go out and do that. But you know, regardless, this doesn't change the fact that we know or have seen the plight of black head coaches, the plight of minority head coaches trying to make it in the NFL. We talked about Steve Wilkes getting fired after one year with the Cardinals before. We see in a number of these instances. And so while this is certainly going to feel lumped in with the Brian Flores lawsuit, I don't think this necessarily means that that one is doomed yet in the way that people might read this. So... That's certainly a part of all this. That is very serious. This is anything but. Let's get to the penis thing. The penis thing. Headline from the New York Post, an article by Andrew Court. Now, this is not about Andrew Court. This is an article by him. This is the headline. Just to clarify. My penis fell off, but it regrew on my arm, and now I'm a real man again. Mm-hmm. This man, Malcolm McDonald, 47 years old, lost his penis due to a severe blood infection and has an artificial member surgically attached to his nether region. Six years after it was designed by doctors, he's a mechanic who lives in Norfolk, England, who left mortified in 2010 when his penis, quote, just dropped off onto the floor after he suffered that infection in his perineum. Surgeons were subsequently able to manufacture a new penis for the father of two using a skin flap on his left arm. They planned to have man-made member move down to his pubic area, but were forced to stop the operation due to lack of oxygen in his blood. He was left with the artificial phallus poking out of his forearm. A second surgery to move the manhood between his legs was delayed for six years. Due to scheduling mix-up staff shortages and the COVID-19 pandemic. In the new documentary, The Man with a Penis on His Arm, McDonald recalls helping an elderly lady retrieve an item from a top shelf in a supermarket only to have his penis pop out from beneath his sleeve and nearly hit her on the head. Brandon, you just can't make this up now. It has the happy ending where he was able to ultimately have it surgically attached back where it belongs. But I I just want to read you one final sentence of doing a lot of reading in this instance, where in this article, the phrase, the dad designed his dream penis with the help of surgeons and added an extra two inches to the man-made model, making it six inches in total, was a real sentence written on God's internet today. I, was, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned it. I was about to say, they talked about the, the science behind it, and I was like, but also the glory of God that he was able to... Uh, <laughs> Won't he do it? Get his, get his, get his penis uh, remade and, and talk about back order. Um, the, the, the six years you had to wait to get your penis put back in the middle. Um, well, I mean, not just to get it put back, to have it on your arm yeah. for six years. Yeah, the guy is, and I, I can't help but laugh because I'm looking at him, 
and uh, he looks about what you would think, like looks like a penis with hair. Um, I, oh, I, I come sh- on, man. This guy's been through hell. You can't do that to him. Yeah, most penises look like they've been through hell, right? I mean, or is that is that too far off to say? Uh, I think this is I think this is a very uh unfortunate situation. I can't believe that this is uh real. Like there's man-made lakes. Uh there there's man-made. What other things are natural? Uh that I mean buildings. But nat- Oh, you're saying natural things that we have gone and yes, man-made. Yes, I mean that we get I mean hell and, and yeah. mess with mess with mess with mess with science. We play God a little bit. Frankenstein. I mean, listen. Like we make Jurassic Park movies about this. We're we're constantly trying to recreate human intelligence in the form of AI. I see you, Boston Dynamics, and I'm mm. still not okay with anything that you're doing mm. in your world of making weird robot dogs that do dances and those ones that do backflips. I'm never going to be comfortable with it. I don't care that what song said, you put under it. That being said, I'm pretty happy for this guy. What are you happy about? That he got his penis back? That he that he got yeah, that he got I mean that he got this big part of his life back. Like that ah. for it to like fall off in that like horrific instance of an infection for him to get this back here and for him to have the restraint to say, you know what? Not gonna ask for too much here. I'm not going to go too wild with this thing here. Just a couple extra. Like, it's just noticeable. Like, when Brian Erlacher showed back up with a full patty of okay. hair on his okay. head, I know it. he probably made a m- bunch of money in the process. But, like, if I did that tomorrow, I'd get roasted into oblivion in every group chat I'm a part of because it's not subtle. This one's a little more subtle, and I applaud him for the nuance and the restraint. I, I don't know. I don't know how you. I don't know how you compliment this man for... I, 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 the strength. I guess I couldn't. I couldn't be in his shoes. I couldn't have my penis on my arm for six years, and be Listen. and been outside. I wouldn't have talked about it. I definitely wouldn't have signed up for a documentary. You know what I would have signed up for? Uh, what's it called? Love at First Sight or Blind Love on on Netflix? Oh, Love is Blind. Love is Blind. I was signed up for Love is Blind. Boy, what a plot twist! At the end of that, when all of a sudden we get to that first cocktail hour with everybody at the resort once they've paired off, that's gonna be a conversation. <laughs> Like, uh, mine has his penis on his arm. Yeah. What? All of a sudden, Shake's business is going to have to take a back seat in season two here. We got some other stuff that we need to talk about. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I, well, I don't I don't know. I, I, I feel for this man. Uh, I'm glad that he can have his penis back. But it's not like a big direct deposit. You know, like when you got some money coming and you're already spending it before it comes. Like, what do you, what, is, what is he planning on doing when he gets his penis back in the middle? I don't know. Like, I, I don't I don't I, see... I, I have a pretty good idea. I have a pretty good idea. I also have a firm belief we have found God's strongest soldier because he gave him a battle. Man, he has been through it. And he's, I mean, he's sharing a story to inspire other people that may have uh, yes. prosthetic penises uh, growing on their appendages. I don't know. Yeah, no, listen, it, it, give it up. Again, to Malcolm McDonald, a modern marvel, making it happen. One time for the one time here. This has been Gojo. If you've made it this far again, God bless you. Remind your friends, download, subscribe. Hit the automatic download button at the top of your page on Apple Podcasts. Rate us, review us. It all helps. We all appreciate it. We will be back again to do this tomorrow. See you guys.